The young Saibzade stride into the middle like tigers, stalking their prey, taking centre stage, all eyes around them, and as they reach the middle of the court, they belt out in loud, clear wards, roaring like tigers, snapping like crocodiles. We have seen the bravest of people crumble here in this court before us, but this level of defiance from these children, this is unheard of, and they are just seven and nine years old. Imagine when they grow up, we have no other option but for these rebels, these poisonous snakes, to be killed and to be killed now. In this episode, we are going to very briefly be going over the Shahidi of the Shorter Saibzade and Mata Gujariji. During the Battle of Chamkor Saib, the elder sons of Guru Gobind Singh Ji, Baba Ajit Singh and Baba Jujar Singh Ji are Shaheed, fighting relentlessly and bravely in the thick of battle, along with many other heroic, loyal Gursik warriors. And also, during the Battle of Chamkor, a monumental event occurs. And it takes place in the fort where Guru Gobind Singh Ji blesses the Khalsa Panth with the title of Guru, tying his Galgi under the Malla of Pai Sangat Singh and arming the five Singhs present with their own Shastar, and then blessing the Khalsa Panth with this supreme status and power. Guru Gobind Singh Ji then leaves the fort at the request, the order, and the hukam of the Khalsa Panth. As Guruji left the fort, the sound of their claps thundered throughout the land as they shouted out challenging the Mughal hordes. Guruji, then travelling through and spending time alone in the harsh and desolate, thorny, cold Machiwala jungle barefooted, once again is then later re reunited with their beloved warriors by Maan Singh, Pyara Deya Singh and Pyara Taram Singh, whom all followed the bright star in the dark night as ordered by the Guru when they split up on leaving the fort. Leaving the jungle, they spend a night in the orchard of two Sikh Masans, Punjaba and Gulaba. And news reaches Punjaba and Gulaba that the enraged Mughal forces are relentlessly searching for the Guru and have declared that anyone aiding or supporting the rebel warrior Guru would face savage torture and a brutal execution in this time. Fear overcomes these two brothers, and they are between themselves deciding during the most difficult of and hardest of times that they cannot stand by the Guru and cannot serve the Guru. Their own houses, their own lives are more beloved. The same Guru who had blessed them everything, who had blessed them everything they have, everything they own, these two Masans now have decided they cannot stand by during these tough times and the Gursikhs with Maharaja enraged, and rightfully so. However, the great Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, remains unmoved. The most compassionate, benevolent Guru still blesses them and moves on with his Khalsa warriors, Maan Singh, Daya Singh and Taram Singh. Moving on, the Guru is later met by Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan, two brothers who have previously served the Guru. Seeing the Guru, they are overcome with pure joy and they run towards the Guru and they bow their foreheads on his feet. Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan are two Bhutan horse dealers. They deeply love the Guru and they would often travel, travel to Sri Anandpur Sahib and sell many beautiful horses and animals to the Guru for the service of the Khalsa Panth. 
And now having learnt about the great battle at Jamgor and Guruji being around the Machiwala area, these brothers left home in search of the Guru with the aim of serving the Guru. Such was their love and affection for Guru Gobind Singh Ji. Despite the threats from the Mughal forces not to harbour the Guru, Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan decide their love for the Guru is worth more than life itself and they beg the Guru to come to their home. Guruji fulfills their request and stays at their home for two nights. And during this time, the brothers serve Guruji with everything they have, not sleeping at all, standing guard themselves during the night. Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan gift Guruji with some brand new clothing and Guruji from their bend, from their village, is carried out of their home and village disguised as Uchka Peer, a holy saint of the Uch area. Guruji is carried on a palang, like a manja throne, which, which Guruji is seated upon and this is carried on high on the shoulders of the Sevadar, supporting all four corners of this palang. Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan hold this and escort Guruji on towards Herai, a village in near Raikot in Ludhiana district. Here, a group of Sikhs are reunited with Guruji and they take over the seva of carrying Guruji's belang. And as they pass through villages in great love, Sikh, Hindu and Muslim alike all come out to greet Guruji. Guruji was ha happy with the love and respect shown by all of these and especially happy with the pyar shown by Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan and he blesses them with the Hukam Nama in which Guruji writes, it is my command that Ghani Khan and Nabi Khan are my very own. They will always have my hand upon them. Service to them is service to me. Any Sikh who serves them will be blessed. And this is an order to the Khalsa to serve them and always bless them. Guruji and his Sikh reach Lamme Jatpura village. Here a local Muslim chief by the name of Rai Kalla, along with his small army come to serve the Guru. Rai Kalla had great love and respect for Maharaj. And here Guruji sits down. Rai Kalla bows before him and sits at his feet along with his soldiers. And it is here when Rai Kalla asks the Guruji to be blessed with Seva. And it is here Guruji gives him the Seva and, and inquires about his Shorte Sahib Zadde, his two younger sons and his elderly mother Mata Gujariji. Guruji explains, my two younger Sahibzadde and my elderly mother, we were separated at Sarsa River and I have not seen them since. Do the service of finding out what has happened to them and where they have gone, find out. Send one of your men towards Sirhand to find out. Do this quickly, do this now. Now Guruji is the master of the world and knower of all things. And here Guruji himself is in inquiring about where the Sahibzadde and Mataji could be and at the same time, he's directing the men to go towards Sarhand, the place where the Saibzadde are. Accepting the seva, Raikalla explains, Sarhand is 40 kilometers from here, and it would take a minimum of a full day's ride at least to get there, and one day there finding out, and then one day to come back. This whole mission will take a minimum of three days. He says, I will send Nuramai. He is a shepherd, he is cunning and intelligent, and he will be able to get there, find out any information and get back without arousing any suspicion as he will blend in there. Sending one of my soldiers will raise some eyebrows and people there will definitely become suspicious. So, at once Nuramai is sent off at this mission 
and he goes. At this time now, Guruji sits under a tree and there manjan de takht. He sings it close to him as does Rai Kalla with his warriors. Sangat from this village and other local villages have come and are also sitting in the congregation in the Saad Sangat. All sitting on the floor before Guruji, by Daya Singh Ji standing behind Maharaj, waving a beautiful white jor saib over Guruji's seas. The time here now is passed in conversation. The Guru and Rai Kalla talk about war and battle. They talk about weaponry, tactics, philosophy and dharam. Many people are coming and bowing their heads before the Guru and joining the congregation. And in this way, some time has passed and the afternoon approaches. At this point, Guruji asks Rai Kalla, You sent your guy Nuramai this morning to Sarhand to find out about the shortest Saibzadde. Find out, is he back yet with any news? Quickly in inquire and find out if he's come back yet. You said he travels fast. It's been roughly five or six hours. Why isn't he back yet? And now Rai Kalla bows before Guruji with folded hands and says, Oh true king, Maharaj, Nuramai only left this morning and has quite a long journey to get to Sarhand. At the quickest, he will get there late tonight or by the morning. There is no way that he will be on his way back yet. He will be back at earliest tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. And once he is back, he will definitely report, report back to us straight away. But it will take some time due to the travel and the time finding out there. It will take at least three days. Listening to this, Guruji does not give any response. And they continue to pass the time in conversation. And Guruji goes on to tell Rai Kalla about the treachery of the Hindu hill Raja and the oath-breaking Mughal warlords, about the battles at Anandapur Sahib and about what occurred at Jamkor Sahib. Guruji tells Rai Kalla in detail. Roughly two or three more hours passed and Guruji once again, once again asks, Rai Kalla, what's going on? Your guy has not returned from Sarhand yet. What is taking him so long? Go and find out. Why is he not back yet? Send one of your soldiers to climb that tall tree there and have a look and see if they can see him anywhere in the distance. Is your guy Nuramai on his way back yet or what? What's going on? Rai Kalla again clasps his, his hands together before the Guru and bowing his head says, Guruji, forgive me, but Nuramai hasn't even probably reached Sarhand yet. How can he possibly be anywhere near on the way back? Guruji, there is no chance that he will be back today. Maharaj, he will not be back today. He will not be back tomorrow. He will be back the day after. It's not possible that he will come today. There's no point anyone climbing that tree to have a look. The notion that he will be back today or they will be able to see him is absolutely absurd. Guruji, on hearing this answer from Rai Kalla, again, does not give any response. And they go on with their conversations, speaking about dharam and warfare. Everyone present is absolutely mesmerized by Guruji's words, listening attentively. In this way, the morning, the afternoon, and the whole day has passed. And now, the evening is falling. And for a third time, Guruji now inquires about Nuramai. This time, Guruji speaks out to the whole Sangat present, saying, Will one of you climb that tall tree and look towards the direction of Sarhand? 
look and see if Nur Amai is on his way back or whereabouts he is. Quickly do this and tell me, is he on his way back or not? Raikallah now, thinking to himself, the Guru is all-knowing and God's form himself. Three times he has requested for someone to look out for Nuramai, to climb the tall tree and look, and each time we have listened to the request and not acted. What will I lose if I send one of my men up the tree to obey this request from the Guru? This is a simple task, and one should always obey the Guru, and this is a request that we should obey. So now, Raikallah sends one of his soldiers up the tall tree to have a look out towards Sirhand to see if anyone is coming. One of Raikallah's soldiers climbs the tall tree. Getting to the top, he starts to look towards the direction of Sirhand. As the soldier is at the top of the tree, Guruji instructs him to look attentively and see if Nurama is coming or not. The soldier, who has now climbed to the top of the tall tree, then looks focusing in the distance and in his shock he sees what seems to be Nuramai on his way back staying quiet for a minute he watches for a moment then noticing Nura coming closer he carefully announces and confirms it's Nuramai and then he calls out that he could see Nura and he's coming back from Sirhand Raikallah and his army of men and the whole Sangat are shocked at what just happened they talk between themselves, how can this even be? It's a full day's ride to Sirhand, a full day's ride back. Nura's going by foot and he needs time there to find out what happened. But also they're discussing, how did Guruji know to get somebody to look out at this time? The Sangat is shocked in amazement. Nura himself later confirms he took multiple days on this journey, traveling there, spending a day there and spending a whole day traveling back. Now you see, time and space are all at the command of the Guru and they bow in the Guru's divine presence. The Guru is timeless and beyond our comprehension and understanding and here we just get a glimpse of this. So, Nuramai eventually makes his way back. Presenting himself before the Guru, he bows his head to the lotus-like feet of the Guru and sits down before Maharaj. The all-knowing Guru then speaks, telling him, Nura, speak up and tell me, what news do you have from Sirhand? What is the news of my young Saibzade and my elderly mother? What have you seen and heard? Tell me of my beloved Saibzade. Nura at this time is crying, tears flowing down his cheeks. It's a sad state, one of grief and deep, sad anguish and pain. He replies, Guruji, what can I tell you of your young children, the Shote Saibzade? The evil Papi tyrants have committed an unspeakable act. Your Saibzade, a Shaheed, they have been killed. The Subha of Sarhand has committed a great sin. It pains me to even speak this. My tongue and spirit shakes as I talk to you. He is sobbing out uncontrollably. He is deeply upset and saddened. Raikallah puts his arm around him and offers him support. Offering him comfort, telling him, Nura, tell us what happened. Where were the young Saibzade of the Guru and exactly what happened to them? Tell us who arrested them, who handed them over to the Mughals and how 
how were they made shaheed? Who did this? How? Tell us everything. Raikalla, at this point, is also crying and hearing the killing of the Shote Sahibzadeh and hearing about this and the death of the Guru's mother. Everyone in the Sangat is totally shocked and feeling this. Tears are flowing from all of their eyes. This is the most sad and painful of times. The emotion at this time cannot be described by words. The whole congregation were waiting since morning for some news and now, in a state of shock and pain, the atmosphere is thick with emotion. Guruji, Guru Gobind Singh is the only one sitting without crying, without weeping out, sitting stoic. Raikalla, holding Nura and wiping his tears, instructs him to tell the whole story of exactly what happened in Sirhand. And Raikalla builds up his courage. He is now sitting in a kneeled position in front of the Guru. Tears still running down his cheeks, he begins to tell the story of what happened to the Shote Sahibzadde and the Honourable Mata Gujariji. When Mata Gujari and the Shote Sahibzadde crossed the raging river Sarsa, as you know, they got separated from you, Maharaj. As they were left, and as they left the freezing river waters, they found themselves alone in the dark. Mataji made it to the other side of the river. With the young Saibzadde, dripping wet and freezing cold, they slowly travelled on. As they did, they came across Gangu Bahman in their path. And he requested Mataji and the young Saibzadde accompany him, and he took them back to his village and his house in the village of Gehari. Gangu turned out to be an evil, wretched being. His actions were fueled by greed and self-interest. He cared not for Mataji, not for the Saibzade, but for material wealth. When he saw Mataji, he noticed the riches that she had with her, and the greed for those riches fueled his actions. He lacked any honour or respect. He noticed Mataji had a sack of gold coins with her, and seeing that was enough for him to lose all morality and all of his dharam. Gangu brings Mataji and the Saibzadde to his house. As he does, he also brings in all of their goods, their baggage and riches which they had with them. Now Gangu Bhaman is someone who had previously stayed in the house of the Guru. So he knew about who the Guru was and he knew about the riches in the home of the Guru. And he used at this point his sweet speech and his loving, caring act as a form of deception to win Mataji over in order to bring them to his house so he can commit theft and treachery. For the love of Maya, for the love of gold coins, he gave up his dharam, his morals, his ethics, any code of honour which he may have had. And for those gold coins and a reward from the Mughals, he would eventually hand over the young Saibzadeh and Mataji, knowing it would lead to their deaths and their imprisonment. And at Gangu Bahman's house, the, the Saibzadeh and Mataji, for the first time since leaving Anandpur Saib, have a moment to rest. As Mataji and the Saibzadeh sleep, Gangu Bahman steals the sack of gold coins. He hides it in his house, digging a hole like a little rat and burying it in the ground so it cannot easily be found. And in the early hours of the morning, when Mataji wakes up, Gangu reports to her 
that this village is full of thieves and she should be careful of her belongings herself just in case something goes missing. He says, I do not want to be blamed if anything of yours goes missing. Therefore, you should assume full responsibility of your own belongings. He, report, he repeats, I am just warning you, so watch out. Mataji looks around and notices the sack of gold coins is missing. And Mataji softly asks Gangu, There was a sack of gold coins here. Did you move it to keep it safe? If you did, thank you. And that was a good move and we will take it from you when we leave here. Hearing this, the Papi Gungu is enraged and he starts making a great commotion in the house, shouting out, Is this the reward and thanks I get? I saved you and brought you to my house, offered you shelter, and you do this? You accuse me of stealing from you? Do not try and blame me. I helped you when you were wet and freezing, and you accuse me of stealing your gold. You know what? Aurangzeb is after you. The forces of Vizir Khan are after you. The armies of the hill chiefs are after you. And if the rest of the my village and people find out, the mother and the children of Guru Gobind Singh are here and I gave them shelter, I will be punished. I gave you shelter and you accuse me? Mata, your son is a rebel against the state. He has killed hundreds and thousands of Mughals in battle. He is the most wanted person across the land. Your son has not benefited the world in any way. He has only been the cause of many of these issues. Your son is waging a war against the Mughal Empire. He has battled and warred with 22 hill chief kings. Your son has torn Punjab apart and turned it into a war zone. He is a rebel and a troublemaker. And I give shelter to you in my house and you do the same. You and your grandchildren also are troublemakers. How dare you accuse me of theft? Get out my house, all of you. Get out now, he shouts. On purpose, he's making lots of noise, trying to get the attention of the whole village and the Mughals who are there. Through his antics and shouting, he's clattering pots and pans together. And Mataji is telling him, just keep quiet. But Gungu is set on his wretched, wicked ways. And Mataji tells Gungu, the gold coins mean nothing. You know what, it doesn't even matter. But Gungu now was intent on causing trouble for Mataji and the Saibzadde. And Gungu runs out of his house, making a great noise, attracting lots of attention. And he informs the local Mughal garrison, and he informs Jani Khan and Mani Khan of the presence of the Guru's mother and children in his house, in his village. Mataji and the Saibzadde are entrapped inside the house of Gungu, and these two Mughal soldiers they arrest the young Saibzadde at this point, disarming them of their weapons, chaining them up and shoving them into sacks. And then they take them to Marinda to be locked in cages. Mataji was also arrested. Her hands and feet were tied and she had a head covering forced on her, which was lined with hot chili peppers and this was placed over her head and face. She was also shoved into a sack which was tied at the top and then shoved on a cart which was taken to Marinda. As this is taking place, the people of the village come out to protest the arrest and they are cursing the traitor Gungu for his hideous act and deed, cursing him for his treachery and lack of morals. And once Mataji and the young Saibzadde reach Marinda, 
They are viciously thrown into the dusty, cold, damp, dark custody cells. And immediately, messages are sent to Nawab Vajid Khan of this development. The head Mughal officer at Gurdwal interrogates Mataji to find out the whereabouts of the Guru and the rest of the Khalsa. Kept in these sacks in the dark, cold, caged prison cells at Murinda, Mataji and the Saibzadde are not provided any rations in this Gurdwal, any water or any food, nothing is provided to them, no blankets during this cold winter's night. And within a few hours, a message is received from Sirhand that the Saibzadde and the Guru's mother must be transported there immediately, stopping for nothing or nobody. And at once, they must be brought to Sirhand where they will be presented in front of Vijir Khan's noble court. And early the next morning, at first light, they are put into thick, heavy iron chains and they are transported in a portable iron cage towards Sirhand in the back of a cart. And en route, many people line the roads to catch a sight of the Guru's elderly mother and the young Saibzadde. And they all commented on how fearless the young warrior children look, like caged wild tigers looking larger than life, such a sight to be seen. The people were in great admiration of the brave looks on the faces of Mataji and the young Saibzadde, marvelling that those who are truly brave never live in fear. And on arrival in Sirhand, Mataji was immediately separated from her beloved grandchildren. She was taken and imprisoned on a tall, elevated tower, which was open at the top, exposed to the elements and the howling cold wind blowing at the time. This tower is known as the Tanda Burj, the ice-cold tower. Strict instructions were given not to give Mataji or the children, the Saibzadde, any comfort, no food, no water, no blankets to sit on or cover themselves to help face these icy, cold winter days and nights. The evil Mughals, on arrival of the Saibzadde, whom had been separated from their Mata, their grandmother at this point, started to torture them. The aim was to break the spirit and the bodies of these young children. And in the late evening, the Saibzadde are taken to the Tanda Burj, their young bodies bearing the signs of whipping and torture. And in the freezing cold Burj, as the icy winds howl, the Saibzadde sit close in the loving embrace of Mata Gujri. She holds them close. And they sit close to her, absorbed in the divine name, Vaheguru. And later that night, when it's dark, and the wind is howling, footsteps are heard climbing the ladder, expecting guards or one of the Mughal warlords. Instead, a humble, friendly face appears. Mutiram Mehra, a poor servant who lived in Sirhand with his family. He had come alone now to see the young Saibzadde and the mother of the Guru. He found out that they were being kept in these harsh conditions and he took everything he had, any money from his home as well as jewellery, and he bribed his way past the guards, giving them almost everything he had, all of his savings, to get access to the Saibzadde and Mataji so he could do their seva. He did this, giving away most of what he owned so he could bring the humble offering of warm dud, warm milk 
to the beloved Saibzadeh and Mataji who were imprisoned in this freezing cold tower. With great love and affection, he brought forward this humble offering. Mataji nodded for the young Saibzadeh to accept the offering, but they refused. O oh, Dadima, we will not drink until you drink. You are our elder and our beloved, you must have some first. Even in their darkest hours, after days of not eating, not a single grain or a single drop of water, these young children still put their beloved grandmother before themselves. And in this way, Mata Gujariji, who was also starved for many days, was forced to drink this warm dod, this warm milk first, after which the two younger Saibzadeh each had some. And Mataji greatly blesses Moti Ram Mehraji. And Moti Ram Mehraji is held in high esteem, with great love and respect in the Sikh Panth. He is truly a beloved of the Guru. And as night falls, Mataji does not sleep at all. Not one second, she sits up all night with the Zahibs out there held close to her and she spends the night in deep meditation. During which, she has visions of the elder Saibzadeh, Baba Ajit Singhji and Baba Jujar Singhji fighting like brave warriors and obtaining Shahidi in the Battle of Chamkor. Tears roll down her face and fall to the ground as she envisions this. The night passes and the next icy morning as the young Saibzadeh arise, their chole, their cloth is frozen stiff from the ice cold and they sit up reciting their Nithanam, meditating on the divine true name. And then Jani Khan and Nabi Khan come to the top of the cold Burj to take the Saibzadeh to the royal Mughal court of Vajid Khan. Mataji protests and tries her best to prevent the Saibzadeh from leaving her side, refusing to allow them to go. But Jani Khan and Nabi Khan tell Mataji, today, no harm shall be done to the young children in the court that shall be returned to you by the evening. The Saibzadeh console Mataji and remind her, we are the sons of the Guru, and for her to remain strong and forever in Chardikala. Baba Zoravar Singhji stands up and turns to Mataji. He reminds Mataji, we have to go and present ourselves in the court. We have been at war with the tyrannical Mughals for many years, and this is just a part of it. We must face them. As we face them in battle, we will face them in court and we will show them the truth can never be destroyed and can never be killed. The Mughals at this point are in a meeting. They are preparing to meet and receive the young Saibzadeh in the court. They are discussing amongst themselves the many Qazis of Vajir Khan that their ultimate victory will be in converting the children of the Guru into Islam. Even if this is done by force, fear or bribery, this is their goal. And as the Saibzadeh approach the court, one of the Rangar court guards advises them to bow your heads to the Nawab and to Vajid Khan as you enter. And to ensure this, the larger gate entrance is closed and a much smaller door is opened, one which even the smallest of people, even small children, would have to bow their heads down to get through. Seeing this, the Saibzadeh approach and they enter the court, but they do so without bowing their heads. They do not bow, 
Instead, they enter with their feet first, ensuring their heads are upright as they enter. And Kavi Santok Singh describes the Saibzadde at this point as looking extremely handsome, describing them to have large lotus flower-like eyes with sharp features. Kaviji says, all whom lay eyes on the Saibzadde are in awe of their beauty. They are dressed like warrior princes in fine expensive fabric, donning menacing war turbans, the male, covered in weapons and shastar. They are the sons of the great Guru. Baba Fateh Singh at this time is seven years old and Baba Zoravar Singh Ji is nine years old. The highest ranking, most respected Mughals in the world from far and wide are present in this court. Kwaza Mehmood Ali, Sher Muhammad Khan, the Subha of Lahore, Jabardast Khan, Suchanand, whom the Panth refers to as Chutanand. And now Chutanand had a deep resentment and hatred towards the Guru. And at one point in time, in the past, he had sent a, he had sent a wedding proposal for his daughter, for Baba Ajit Singh. However, this was immediate, immediately rejected by the Guru. As Guruji knew, he was evil and treacherous and deceitful. And also, it was not in the hukam of a Kalpurk for the Saibzadda to marry. So soon, Chutanand, so since then, Chutanand had a vendetta against the house of Guru Nanak. The court of Vijir Khan is packed with the who's who. Mughal nobles, warriors, all the seats are taken and it's overflowing and crowded on this day. A, a court in which even great warriors and governors would grovel on their knees. A court in even which dreams came to die. And now was the time for the young heroes to face the wicked Vizier Khan in this court. And upon entering the court, in which the Mughal warlords, generals, Qazis, Nawabs and soldiers are present, the young Saibzadeh stride into the middle like tigers, stalking their prey, takes, taking centre stage, all eyes are on them, and as they reach the middle of the court, they belt out in loud, clear wards, roaring like tigers, snapping like crocodiles. Vaheguruji ka khalsa! Vaheguruji ki fateh! This catches the whole Mughal court off guard and silence fills the room. In a state of shock at the bold fearlessness and the audacity of the seven and nine-year-old saibs that they have displayed. Jenny Khan then speaks out to the saibs that they snapping to them, watch your tongues. This is not Anandpur or the divans of your father. Your father is dead. In the battle which commenced at Chamkor, your father, the Guru, was defeated and killed. Both of your brothers, Ajit Singh and Jujar Singh, were killed. All of your Singhs, all of the Nahang warriors, your beloved Khalsa warriors, were killed in this battle. And now, you have nothing left in this world. Your father, your Guru, your brothers, your Singhs, your forts, your Anandpur are all gone. All of, your, all of your warriors are dead. There is nobody who will look after you now. There is no one coming to save you. There is no one who can save you. The great Mughal nobles sitting before you here, that is Vajir Khan to the right and to the left of the greatest nobles, Mughal warriors, warlords and generals, bow your heads before their presence and say salam. Doing this, bowing your heads and saying salam, 
you will save your lives, you will be allowed to live. Bow your heads today and you will live great lives, full of everything you could wish for, all of the pleasures and riches you could dream of will be yours. Listening to these words, Saibzada Baba Zora Farasingji steps forward and roars loudly so all can hear, giving his reply. Jenny Khan, our father is the true Guru and there is none like him. There is no other like the Guru. There is no one on earth who can kill the Guru. Has anyone ever managed to kill the sky? Firing arrows into the sky to kill it is just but a foolish pursuit. In the same way, the sky cannot be killed. Guru Gobind Singh Ji cannot be killed. The Guru will come and leave at the hukum of a Kalpurk alone. You need to focus on yourself. You think you can kill the Khalsa? You are wrong and I tell you this. A great typhoon hurricane is coming. It is the Khalsa and you shall all fall. This typhoon hurricane will blow and there will be nothing left here and there is nothing you can do about it. This very court, this whole city will be turned to rubble. No one can move a great mountain and the Khalsa is a great mountain, a mountain which cannot move, nor you can you do anything to. Tell me, tell me now, has anyone ever been able to grab their son with their hand? How can you capture the sun with your mere hands? In the same light, how can you capture the great Guru Gobind Singh? The Guru is not separate from God. He is the death of death itself, Mahakal. The Guru is beyond your comprehension and your world. Guruji is beyond this whole dunya. And we have placed our heads bowing to the true Guru's charan, the true Guru's feet. And now we have bowed at the, bowed at the Guru's feet. We will not bow anywhere else. Our heads are already at the feet of the Timeless One. What can you do? Death is nothing to us. You want us to bow our heads in front of these? These ministers, these Nawabs and generals you call great? To you they may be great, but in reality they are all tyrants and papi, looking directly at Vajir Khan. And his nobles, Baba Zoravar Singh Ji Gozan, you are all oath breakers. You are dishonest liars. You are killers of the innocent, killers of women and children and the unarmed. You have no honor. And you want us to bow to you? Why? Why should we bow? Why should we do such a thing? Our heads have bowed before a Kalpurk. There is nothing anyone can do to us. You cannot even touch us. Our heads are bowed before the Guru and they will not bow anywhere else. Listening to this response, the whole court is dumbfounded. And after some silence, there is a murmuring amongst the crowds present, thinking, how fearless and how brave are these young children? The elders in the court are speaking amongst themselves, saying these are just mere children. They do not know anything. They do not know the words that they speak. They do not know how to conduct themselves in such a high noble court. Others are remarking, these are young children. They still have their milk teeth. What have they ever done to anyone? They have not killed any of us or committed any crimes. Nor do they know about politics, kingdoms or warfare. They are just children. They do not know about friendship, allegiances, nor enemies. They shouldn't even be here. And Suchanand, the little rat, 
He's infuriated and he speaks out. Look! Look at his insolent children. They are venomous snakes. They are hooded cobras, I tell you. They are the sons of that rebel who has never let you sleep a good night's sleep. Who has killed hundreds of thousands of our finest warriors. Vajir Khan, they are not mere children. They are rebels. They are cobras. And they must be dealt with, dealt with in such a way. These are the offspring of a snake. And they are full of venom. And these cobras only know how to bite. They are not normal children. Do not be fooled. From head to toe, they are full of venom, just like their father, Guru Gobind Singh, whom his whole life has been at war with us and the Mughal kingdoms and the Hindu hill chiefs. For over 30 years, he's been beating his Nagara, the rebel war drum. He has not let any of us get away with anything, nor have a good night's sleep. Him and his Khalsa torment and haunt us again and again, from Dili to Lahore to Sarhand to the hills of Anandpur. He has been at constant conflict and war. He is war. And these cobra children of his, they are the same. If we let them go, they will strike at us. They will bite. They will not let us rest. They must be killed like you would kill a snake. This is the only way that we can deal with them. That evening, the Saibzadeh are returned to the Tanda Burj, the cold tower. Motiram Mehra visits them again on this night again bribing the guards, this time with all the money and belongings him and his family have left, everything to get access to the Saibzadeh and to Mataji again so he can again bring them the humble offering of some warm milk. That night, Mataji again holds the Saibzadeh close and asks them about the court's proceedings and the Saibzadeh tell her exactly what happened in court that day and she blesses them and she gives them strength. Mata Gujri that night tells the Saibzadeh in great detail the Sakka of the Shahidi of their grandfather, the great Guru Tegh Bahadur Saibji, which gives them courage and bravery. And on the next night in the cold tower, as the chilly winds howl, she holds them close and she tells them of the supreme sacrifice of their great, great grandfather, Guru Arjan Devji because the tales of our elders give us courage, morals, bravery and inspiration. And on the second and third day in Sirhand, the Saibzadeh awoken, as usual in the early hours, reciting the Bani of the Guru from heart and retying their damale, their battle turbans, getting ready for the long days in court. And there's a poem of, there's a poet of the time, a Sikh of Guru Gobind Singh Ji, whom had spent time with Guruji, the Saibzadeh and Mataji at the time and his name was Dunna Singh Handunia and his, in, in his writings Katha Guru Suttaniji ki written in Burj Pasha and these, this putti, these writings were preserved under manuscript number 6045 in the Sikh reference library in Amritsar Saib and the original copy that was there was reported missing were destroyed during the June 1984, 1984 attack on Siri Darbar Sahib. And in these writings, it is mentioned that the Sahibs are they were tortured during these days in Sirahand. It's recorded that the Sahibs are they were viciously whipped with thin, stinging, mulberry branches on their bare backs. Their flesh was torn and ripped, and scars appeared 
and their young bodies. This was done to them to hurt them and to give them immense pain so that they would give up their faith and accept Islam out of fear of getting injured, hurt or tortured more. It was further reported that later on pulp was placed between their fingers and their hands and fingers were doused in flammable liquid and set on fire. The aim was to shake their faith by burning, them, burning their skin, seeing them rinse in pain and scream and shake around. But this did not happen. The Saibzadde stood firm, unwavering in their tharam, unshakable in their sikki. They did not scream out. They did not shake or wince. The young children, the young sons of Guru Gobind Singhji stood strong. The last torture of the Saibzadde which was reported was that they were both tied to a pipal tree and stoned with slingshots gulal. And during this it stated that the nine-year-old Baba Zorafar Singhji's eye was severely damaged. The ruthless torture to the young children did not have the desired effect. The young children did not cry out in pain, not once, nor did they wince, nor did they show any sign of defeat or weakness. Instead, this gave the young Saibzad the only strength and firm resolve to walk on the path of Taram no matter what. And before they would go to court each day, they would embrace their grandmother, Mata Gujri, and she would remind them to always think of the Guru and to draw strength and inspiration from their grandfather, Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahibji. The young Saibzadeh again enter the court of Vijir Khan without fear, without hesitation and defiantly roar out the Guru's Fateh. Vaheguru Ji ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji ki Fateh. The evil-minded Suchanand is infuriated on hearing this and seeing that their intimidation, their torture had zero effect on the young Saibzadeh. He speaks out to Vijir Khan saying, look at them. They are the cobra sons of the Guru. The Guru who killed hundreds and thousands of your best men, who rebelled at every turn, who raised an army against you and your empire. Just look at the audacity of his Saibzadeh, his young children. You are great and noble, as is Aurangzeb. And they refused to show you or him or us any respect. They refused to bow and they refused to say salam to you. Suchananda now turns and addresses the Saibzadeh directly, saying, This is not your father's court or darbar. This is not Anandpur. Your fateh is not for here. That was a left back there. Here you say salam and here you bow your head. And the Saibzadeh respond, The mouth that has uttered the sacred Fateh of the Guru in this court shall never utter your salam. Suchananda turns to Vijir Khan says Khan Sahib look see for yourself the insolence the disrespect they have no fear of you whatsoever they fear nothing in this whole court surrounded by a grand array of our finest generals and warriors and they are not shaken great Kings here urinate themselves and get scared. Everyone fears us, but not these two children. They are not put back one bit. We have seen the bravest of people 
crumble here in this court before us. But this level of defiance from these children, this is unheard of. And they are just seven and nine years old. Imagine when they grow up. They are unmoving and unaffected by anything. We have tortured them, but look. They do not break eye contact. There's no fear in these children. They do not bow before you. These sahibs are they will never bow before anyone. And now Vizier Khan speaks out to the sahibs out there. And he says, dear children, I am being sincere when I tell you this. Your father is no more. Your elder brothers are dead. So are all the Nahang warriors and Khalsa. You have nobody accept the deen and embrace Islam, join the Mughal forces, save your lives in this way. Live by the Sharia and you will get everything that you wish for. We will give you lands, horses, elephants, carriage, great castles and titles. Your life will be nothing but luxury. The great Badshah Aurangzeb will keep you close to him. We will make sure you live in great comfort. We will educate you. We will marry you to the most finest, beautiful women. We will give you everything. We will make you generals of great armies. Armies that scour the landscape. People will bow before you just by threats of yours alone. We will give you everything. And hearing this, Baba Zoravar Singhji looks at his younger brother, Baba Fateh Singhji in the eyes. And he says to his brother, it looks like the time has come. The test of faith is here. Our great Dadaji, Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib Ji, showed the world and the history books what true Dharam is in the face of tyranny. And now our time has come. And our only option, the only option for us is to stand firm. Now brother, speak up and tell me what is in your heart. And Baba Fateh Singh Ji listens to this and replies, Just as those before us stood for justice and preserved Dharma or caste, just as the great Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib Ji did, our Dada Ji demonstrated true Dharma, so shall we do the same. Death is acceptable. To give up our Dharam is not. The path of our father and our grandfather is the only one for us. We will leave an example which will inspire and give faith to many generations of Sikh and Khalsa who want to walk the path of truth on the path of Dharma. This body is but a vessel and people for the love of this body, for the love of worldly comforts and riches, sell their Dharam, sell their soul to live a few extra days. But in the end, they all still die the same and it's better to die with Dharam and live on without it. These foolish tyrants have but a few tricks they can use and they use them to take people away from their dharam. They first use greed, promising so much, then they use fear and pain. And all of these things are nothing to us. Nothing to us. Sikhi and dharam is everything. Just as Dadaji Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib Ji gave Shahidi just as Sikhi, for Sikhi at the time, and just like the Sikh at that time, by Mati Dasji, by Sati Dasji, and by Dialaji gave Shahidi, now we shall do the same. The blood of Shahid and the Sartaj, the great 
ਸ਼ਹੀਦ ਗੁਰੂ ਅਰਜਨ ਦੇਵ ਜੀ ਰਨਸ ਫਰੂ ਆਵਰ ਵੈਨਸ ਦ ਬਲੱਡ ਆਫ ਗੁਰੂ ਤੇਗ ਬਹਾਦਰ ਸਾਹਿਬ ਜੀ ਰਨਸ ਫਰੂ ਆਵਰ ਵੈਨਸ ਵੀ ਆਰ ਦ ਸੰਸ ਆਫ ਕਲਗੀਦਾਰ ਪਿਤਾ ਗੁਰੂ ਗੋਬਿੰਦ ਸਿੰਘ ਦ ਬਲੈਸਿੰਗਸ ਆਫ ਗੁਰੂ ਨਾਨਕ ਆਰ ਅਪਨ ਦ ਪਾਥ ਵੀ ਵਾਕ ਐਂਡ ਵੀ ਮਸਟ ਪ੍ਰਿਜ਼ਰਵ ਦ ਆਨਰ ਆਫ ਥਿਸ ਹਾਊਸ ਐਟ ਆਲ ਕਾਸਟਸ ਦ ਹੋਲ ਕੋਰਟ ਬੇਸ ਵਿਟਨੈਸ ਟੂ ਥਿਸ ਕੰਵਰਸੇਸ਼ਨ ਐਂਡ ਨਾਉ ਬਾਬਾ ਜ਼ੋਰਾਵਰ ਸਿੰਘ ਜੀ ਸਪੀਕਸ ਆਊਟ ਏ ਸੁਬਾ we beat our shoes on your sharia and the whole mughal kingdom we will not jeopardize our taram in our path in sikki there's there is a tradition where we will give our heads our lives but we will never give our taram we will never give up our sikki we will impact uproot the tyrannical fanatical mughal kingdom this will happen but giving up our taram that would never happen And what is this you do? You offer us bribes? You try and tempt us with riches, with horses, elephants, army, castles, women? Are you serious? There is nothing on this earth which is equal to Taram. If only you even knew about Taram. And you talk of Aurangzeb as a great king. The same Alamgir Aurangzeb who reads Quran one moment, swears oaths on it and then breaks them the next. the orangzeb who killed his own brothers for the throne who imprisoned his own father you may bow before such a oath-breaking liar we will never do such a thing and now the young venerable brave baba fateh singh ji speaks taram will remain forever here and in the beyond there is nothing like taram nothing at all nothing compares what kind of a foolish idiot would give up their faith their taram for anything that you can offer or anything this world can offer who would dare forsake their taram for worldly things our shahidia will feed the fire that will burn your whole wretched kingdom to the ground the fire that will burn your empire from its roots is already burning bright and when we give our lives for our faith for our taram that fire will rage tell you are no more the place where you stand the nishan sahib of the guru khalsa will fly here the khalsa pants will gather here for many many years to come just watch hearing this the whole court is gobsmacked all in a state of shock many in the crowd speak of how great these sahibs are they are how fearless how truly blessed how truly blessed these great warriors the crowds are remarking these statements were given in the court of sirhand that and these statements burned the mughals on the inside and they are enraged and beside themselves none of the intimidation tactics none of the torture nothing has worked and just like that the verdict is given the mughals passed the verdict the order the sahibs are the must be put to death and the subah turns to share muhammad khan the nawab of maler kotile and tells him he must kill the young sahibs are the he to- speaks out to share muhammad khan reminding him their father the father of the sahibs are the guru gobind singh ji killed both your brothers himself in the battle at jamkar 
Now it's your time to take sweet revenge and kill the beloved sons of the Guru. Kill these infants now. And Sher Muhammad Khan responds, It is true, Guru Gobind Singh Ji killed both of my brothers and many of my men. And I, have, and I have my grievances directly with the Guru. When and where I see him, we will fight and we will get it on and I will have my revenge. But I cannot kill or lay a finger on these young children. They are innocent. They have not harmed my family. They did not kill my brothers and their children, so I cannot kill them or harm them. I will only earn disgrace by killing these milk-drinking children. This is not the way of Islam. Saying this, Sher Muhammad Khan gets up and walks out of the court. As it is, as he does, he says to Vajir Khan and Suchanand, what you are doing by putting these young children to death is not a righteous act. This is not dharma and what they say is true. This will be your end also. I hope you reconsider your choice. The spiteful Suchanand then speaks out, asking the Saibzadde, O oh, children of the Guru, what will you do if we let you go? And the Saibzadde respond, we will go and raise an army and come back here to face you. We will forever wage a war against you until you and your kingdom are no longer and you no longer exist. We will be the end of you. And Suchanand then turns to Vajir Khan, provoking him, provoking his anger and fury, saying, See? See that response? We have no other option but for these rebels these poisonous snakes to be killed and to be killed now. And Vajid Khan stands up and the order is announced. Tomorrow, the Saibzadde of Guru Gobind Singh Ji, Zoravar Singh and Fateh Singh will be bricked alive and killed. The Shote Saibzadde are standing strong in the court of the malicious and cruel Vajid Khan the young heroes have withgone immense torture, being whipped, burnt and stoned. They remain unaffected by the friendly pursuits, by the bribes, by the torture, the offerings, the lalach. They remain unaffected by the intimidation, the threats and the pain and the lies presented. The whole court is astounded and astonished by the courage, persistency and fearlessness of the Shote Sahibzadde of Guru Gobind Singh Ji. Vajir Khan and Suchanand and the Ghazis are beside themselves, having lost for the first time in their own court, unable to intimidate the seven and nine-year-old children, unable to convert them to Islam, unable to get them to say Salaam, unable to get them to bow their heads. They take a big L. They have lost self-control and anger and rage is consuming them inside. The fatwa has been given. The Saibzadde are to be tortured and killed the next day. They are to be bricked alive. That night, the Saibzadde again, for the final and last time, sit with Mata Gujri. She holds her beloved grandchildren close and she gives them courage through the Sakya of our elders, through the Sakya of the Shahidi of Guru Arjan Dev Ji Maharaj and the Shahidi of Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib Ji Maharaj, 
through the stories of Guru Har Gobind Sahib and reminding them of their father, Guru Gobind Singh Ji. She is proud of them. Proud they held their faith and their dharam strong, proud of their Sikhi. Their bodies are battered and beaten, their clothes wet and drenched in blood, and the cold winds howl. The marks of the whipping and stoning evident, hands scarred from being burnt. There is no crying or whimpering, there is no worry or anxiety, only meditation on the divine name, Vaheguru. And as they listen to the stories of their elders and their gurus, whom are their everything and our everything, the most honorable, the venerable Motira Mehra arrives again, as he has every single night without fail to bring an offering of warm dod, of warm milk, and he comes for the very last time. And this time, he had to give up and trade his house to bribe the guards. Giving up and signing over his family home and property to the guards as a bribe so he can bring this offering, leaving himself and his family homeless. For him to serve the Saibzadde and for him, service to the Saibzadde, to Mataji was worth it. This moment was worth everything. And I bow and I kiss the feet of such a saint. Such a beloved Sikh who had so much love for the Guru Sahib Zadde. And that night, again, Mata, Mataji does not sleep. The whole night she watches over her Sahib Zadde, admiring their beauty, their courage and their faith. She herself is a saint of God and she is absorbed in the divine name, Vaheguru. And in the early hours of the cold, frosty morning, the Saibzad, they get ready. Again, retying the Damale, their beautiful world turbans, covered in weapons and Shastar and Kalagi, absorbed in meditation of the divine name Wahiguru as they do, and they recite beautifully the poetic Bani of the Gurus off by heart as they tie their Damale and as they sit and as they meditate. And as day comes, Eventually, the guards approach to take the Saibzadde on their final journey. These large, heavyweight guards, clad in black clothing, inform Mataji, the Saibzadde today will be given one chance, one final warning, one final opportunity to embrace the Deen and bow before Vajid Khan. If they don't, she will never see them again. And Mataji, holds the Saibs at the tight, giving them one final hug and instructing them to go forth and sacrifice to be the torch of Sikhi in this dark age, to join Guru Arjan Dev Ji and Guru Teg Bahadur Saib Ji. And as they leave, they tell her everything is in the will of Akal Purukh Vaheguru and that they are the sons of Guru Gobind Singh and the grandsons of Guru Teg Bahadur. The Saibs that they pay their respects to their grandmother and bow before her, and she blesses them, putting her hand upon their damale. And how beautiful do the Saibs are they look, as they stand ready to go on their final journey, faces radiant with the love of Wahiguru, damale and Kalagya looking exquisite. And as they leave, Mataji recites the following Dohra, written by her son Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj, about his father, 
about the divine the great guru tegh bahadur sahib ji thikar for delhi sir prabhur kiya pyan tegh bahadur si kriya kari na kin huan tegh bahadur ke chalat payo jagat ko sok hai 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 sab jag payo jai 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 suralok breaking the body the picture of the head and the king of delhi aurangzeb the venerable the epitome of mercy guru tegh bahadur sahib ji leaves for the abode of the lord of ahiguru none else nobody else could have performed such a great act that was done by guru tegh bahadur sahib ji and as guru tegh bahadur sahib ji the supreme as they leave this world the world is full of grief crying out <laughs> cries of distress can be heard all around whereas the heavens open up and such kind there is cheering and applause the singing of glory 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 ja 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 in the court of wazir khan the sahibs are there again roar like tigers entering the court like great killer crocodiles enter water and they go into the middle and they roar out wahiguru ji ka khalsa wahiguru ji ki fateh the spirit of the moguls is broken as they know they cannot put fear in the sahibs at the of guru gobind singh ji they cannot break sikhi they have tried everything and now the time has come the execution of the fatwa to murder the young 7 and 9 year old sahibs at the immediately the news of the verdict of the fatwa to brick alive the young children of the guru has spread throughout sarhand and people are disgusted they are ashamed at this todarmal a wealthy and rich local sikh appears in the court to appeal for reconsideration or delay of the fatwa as the sahibs are they just minors they just children but this request is ignored during the last attempt to influence the sahibs are they to get them to give up their faith they are separated each has spoken to and offered bribes and threatened again and each has told lies about the other trying to manipulate them misinforming them that the other the other sahibs are they accepted and agreed the conditions and accepted islam and accepted the deen but both the sahibs are they stood their ground they had full faith in themselves in their dharm and in each other they knew the other would not bend or fold they knew that the other would be shaheed before they give up on their dharm and the moguls who were preparing for their execution and fatwa to take place now get ready but they have a problem they have an extreme problems finding someone who would ex- actually execute the fatwa itself as most were scared and no one wanted to take part in this inhumane cruelty no one wanted to murder young children and to do this with the whole community watching in public suchanand then persuades shashan beg and bashan beg two big fat heavyweight moralist killers who were already serving jail time for multiple murders and misdeeds to do this deed and for killing the sahibs at the they would receive a pardon not just a pardon 
they would receive money and honor and roles in the Mughal kingdom. Sarsenbeg and Barsenbeg were in fact, they were the nephews, the brothers' kids of Jalaluddin, the executioner who swung his sword at Guru Tegh Bahadur Sahib Ji. And these two moralless, vile executioners, they start constructing the wall around the Saibzadde. And as they do, Baba Zoravar Singh Ji and Baba Fateh Singh Ji are reciting Japji Sahib out loud. And when the wall reaches their knee height, the executioners are about to chip some of their bricks to build the wall straight, flush against the legs of the Saibzadde. As their kneecaps were projecting outwards, but the Ghazi stops them and said, These bricks belong to the Mughal Empire, the Mughal Raj. Don't you dare damage the bricks. Instead, slice and cut away at the knees of these children, of these Saibzadde. Break their kneecaps, but do not break our bricks. As they do this, the Saibzadde still continue their part. And slowly, the wall was fully erected till it is just above Baba Zoravar Singh's height and it's covering now both of them, both of the brave sons of Guru Gobind Singh Ji. The bricks have reached above their head height and the recitation of Japchisab was heard through the walls and once it's completed, after a short while, the wall falls to pieces. Both sides are there laying on the fallen wall and they are still alive, barely breathing and only semi-conscious at the time. Ice-cold water, buckets of ice-cold water was thrown upon them. The sides are there waking into full consciousness. They were asked again to convert, but they courageously speak out and reject the Mughal pressures. In high spirits, they speak out and they say the words, and then the heavyweight, fat executioners are given the order to pull out their sharp daggers and their hands are shivering but they were threatened with, to be punished if they didn't obey this final order and then taking daggers into their hands placing their knees on the Saibzadde with all of their heavy body weight crushing down on the Saibzadde's chests. They then slice and cut the throats of the Saibzadde ear to ear. And it's written in the historical Granth Bansavli Nama that Baba Zoravar Singh Ji was shaheed in two to two and a half minutes while Baba Fateh Singh Ji kept on kicking and bleeding for about 12 minutes before their legs stopped moving. And this way, bleeding out, they both attained Shahidi. The most sinful deed has been done. The Saibzadde have been killed. The heads of the Saibzadde are now hacked off, cut off by Gyanand who was a close associate of Suchanand and the bodies of the Saibzadde are taken and thrown in the jungle for wild animals and dogs to pick apart and rip apart and eat. However, 
as they throw the sahibs at these bodies, the bodies of the children, into that jungle. A great lion appears, approaches the bodies and stands over them, guarding them until later on, Dordaramal goes to find them so he can perform the final funeral rites. Motiram Mehra and Dordaramal go up to the Tanda Burj to inform Mataji of the Shahidi of her grandchildren. And upon hearing about the sacrifice of her beloved young grandchildren, Mataji says, My dear sons, you have performed this feat. While I am still alive, you have sacrificed your heads for Taram, for truth, for faith, for Sikhi. Just like your grandfather, Gurtek Bahadur Sahibji. And after saying this, Mataji closes her eyes and slowly, with great care and love and affection, recites Japji Sahib Dapat. And after completion, Mataji then breathes her last breath on that Tanda Burj, leaving her body to join the Sahibs Adde. And she transcends to Sachkhand. There is an airy silence and gloom across the whole of Sarhand. Todarmal, a wealthy local Sikh, sets out to perform the final funeral rites of the Saibzade and Mataji. Through his connections, he manages to persuade the Mughals to sell him a small plot of land in Sirhand for the bodies of the Saibzade to be cremated. To purchase this land, he has to offer enough gold coins to cover the ground area for cremating the bodies of Mataji and the Saibzade. And he does this willingly sacrificing and giving up all the wealth he has to buy this land to perform this righteous service. The land was purchased by placing gold coins stacked in virtual position over the required space. And until today, this was one of the most expensive land purchases ever recorded throughout history. A total of 7,800 gold coins worth 10,800,000 rupees during that time were put in vertical position to achieve this. And they bought a lot in Jodri Atta's land in Sarhand. Taudarmal, his younger brother, Nagarmal and Motiram Mera prepared the sandalwood funeral pyre for the cremation. And the bodies of Mataji and the Shote Zaibzade were cremated with great respect, mariada and pyar by these loving Gorsek. Jyoti Sarup Godwara Sahib now stands at this spot where this took place. And around this time, the Mughals found out through the brother of the treacherous Gungubaman, Bamalanga, that Motira Meraji, with love and affection, provided and served warm milk to Mataji and the Saibzade when they were in the Tanda Burj. When the young children were up in the Tanda Burj and there were orders given to keep them starving and that no one is to support them or offer them aid, Motiram Mehra did. And upon hearing this, Vajir Khan becomes angry. Beside himself, he orders the arrest of Motiram Mehra and his whole family immediately. And as the family are arrested, they are severely beaten and slapped, whipped and interrogated. And Baba Motiram Mehra was summoned to the court of Vajir Khan. And Motiram enters the court, 
carrying with him the spirit of the Sahibzadeh, inspired by their sacrifice. And he enters the court, he faces Vajir Khan, Suchanand, and the rest, and he belts out, Vaheguruji ka Khalsa, Vaheguruji ki Fateh. Looking at them straight, Motiram Mehra is fearless, and he tells Vajir Khan he did provide hot milk, Dod to the Sahibzadeh and Mataji. And if the time came, he would do it again, again and again. Oh yes, he would pay the ultimate price to perform this seva and he would do it fearlessly. And he stated in this court, his father, Hararamji, travelled to Anandapur Sahib, met with Guru Gobind Singh and became a member of the Khalsa Panth after receiving Amrit. He became Baba Hara Singh and he was Shaheed, fighting against the Mughals in the Battle of Anandapur Sahib. And he confirmed he was the full devotee of the true Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, and he would remain so until his last breath. Baba Motiram Mehra states, his chacha, his dad's younger brother, was by Himad Singh of the Panj Pyare, whom was Shaheed, fighting valiantly in the Battle of Chamkor. And this infuriates Vajir Khan further, and he orders Motiram to convert now to Islam or to face death. And Baba Motiram Mehra, being a Sikh, through and through, loyal to the Guru, loyal to the Panth, loyal to the Khalsa, except Shahidi to be martyred, to be killed. His wife, Bibi Polli, and his eight-year-old mother, Bibi Ladoji, and their son, their young son, were taken, along with Baba Motiram Mehraji, to the oil mill in Sirhand. And Vajir Khan then calls an executioner forward and orders him to crush by Motiram Mehra's young child to death in the two tight rollers in the oil mill. The same tight iron rollers which would use to be crushed mustard seeds to extract oil. They would now be used to crush every bone in the small child's body, his soft arms, his small little legs, his hands and his skull. This was done before Baba Motiram Mehra's very own eyes, before his wife and before the grandmother of that child. The sound of the baby's bones being broken and crushed and skull being crushed is absolutely horrific and harrowing. It's something that cannot be described and it's impossible to even imagine. Everyone who was looking on, they were holding their breath and wincing at this horrific, brutal sight. But Baba Mutira Meraji saw this as the kirpa and will of Waheguru. He and his family get to preserve their taram, their faith, and walk on the path of sacrifice of Shahidi shown by the Shorte Sahibzade, Baba Zoravar Singh and Baba Fateh Singh. Next, his frail eight-year-old mother faces death and Shahidi, and she is crushed, and then his wife is also crushed to death between those tight rollers, once used to crush seeds to extract oil, now they're being used to crush human bodies, flesh and bone. The drum used to collect the oil was filled with blood, the crushed bone powder, the marrow and the mush of muscles, ligaments and bodily organs. Baba Motira Meraji was firm in his faith and his taram and he kept the name of Waheguru on his lips, heart and mind. And once his infant son, his elderly mother and wife were killed before his eyes, 
Baba Motis Ram Mehra was also crushed to death and murdered in this way by the Mughals. Thus, he and his family attained Shahidi. They earned an internal status in this transitionary world. And hearing about the Shahidi of Muti Ram Mehra and his family, Guru Gobind Singh Ji remarks, and he says, Muti Ram is my beloved Sikh. I shall forever be indebted to this great deed. When I sit in Sachkhand, Muti Ram Mehra will sit beside me. When I merge into my formless, in Sachkhand, Muti Ram Mehra will be beside me and always be with me and close to me. Muti Ram Mehra is the necklace around my neck. He will always reside in my heart. He is my most distinctive Sikh and shall always remain at the Guru's feet forever. Guruji, on hearing about the Shahidi of his Saibzadde, Guru Gobind Singh Ji then uproot, uproots a weed from the ground. With the tip of his arrow and states, the Mughal Empire has now been uprooted. And after six years, Baba Binod Singh Ji Nahang Singh, the first Jathadar of Buddhadal, leads the attack on Sirhand, joined by Baba Banda Singh Bahadur, who was sent from Nandir by Guruji. And they together attack and conquer Sirhand on the 24th of May, 1710. Like a great typhoon, the Khalsa attacks and burns the whole city to the ground, turning it to rubble, just as the shortest Saibzadeh has said. The Mughals were defeated. Vajir Khan was tied behind a horse and paraded in every single lane and road of Sirhand and he died like the dog that he was, screaming out pathetically and crying in the streets in which he had committed such great sins. Suchanand, Chutanand, was made to beg around with a beggar's bowl and he died after getting slapped and smacked, hit by countless shoes and kicked, crying on the floor. He died a much deserved, miserable death, getting shoe beatings on the face like the little rat that he was. Pumalunga, the brother of Ganga Bamun, who snitched on Baba Moti Ramera, was kicked and hit by shoes also. Later, he was tied with chains and dragged around till he died, receiving shoe beatings from everyone in the face and head. Sashenbeg and Bashenbeg, the execution of the Saib, executioners of the Saibzad, they were killed by the Khalsa, as were all the other Mughal tyrants and oath-breakers. And in this way, the great Khalsa Panth avenged the Shahidi of the Saibzad. And please forgive me for any and all mistakes made during this seva. And please do ardas, may it continue. And may the mercy and grace of a Kalpurk Vaigru be on all of us. And may the Khalsa Panth again blossom and become as strong as ever before. Share this with your friends, your family, your children. And forgive all mistakes. Bol Chukmaaf Kanna. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa. Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh.